What's up, everyone, and welcome to Hey, Look, Listen. I am Owner Reardon. Joining me today, as always, Liam Sheehan and Jonathan Marcy. Gentlemen, how are you doing? Really good. As always. Fine. <laughs> you never make anything easy for when I'm actually hosting this podcast. <laughs> I, I feel like I always draw the short straw, and you just you guys just don't work with me, and you leave me we out. We are good, own you. <laughs> I am also well. <laughs> Oh, you two lovable idiots. Gentlemen, as we always start the show, let's dive in and tell me what you guys are playing. Well, I suppose I'll go quick again because I'm still playing The Last of Us 2. Um, uh, I, I still don't want to talk about it too much. Um, I'm definitely on the home stretch now, only a few hours left. Um, and I've started kind of realizing that and getting a little bit like i'm exploring too much do you know what i mean like i don't want it to end so you like, don't want it to end yeah yeah so i'm like i'm just gonna go check this this crate over here for see there's more ammo or whatever um but at the moment it would probably be my game of the year if, if it continues to to be this brilliant for the next few hours and, and wrap up in the, a way the game of last year yes well, my personal game of my year yeah. mm, i like that um, i like that you know, i don't go by society's rules you know me mm-hmm. um so I'm playing that, and then also uh, started playing uh, Ace Attorney again. Um, hey, that's yeah. my one. You're substituting yeah. my lines. Are you, are you playing that now? Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. Okay, well, Which one, are you playing the new one, or are you playing one of the old ones? I'm playing the original trilogy. I'm on the, yes. the just started the second one. Um, because, yeah, because I, I want to buy the new one. I think Steph bought the new one. Um, mm-hmm. So I want to kind of finish the trilogy. I, I actually never finished the third one, so I want to get, get, get through that. But the no, last one too. The third one, a little fact about me, the third one is the first video game that ever made me cry. Oh. <laughs> it's re- yeah, it's really embarrassing. What? I was like, yeah, I was like 19. See, in the Ace Attorney games, um, they have a kind of a piece of music that kicks in whenever the the guy understands it, like you're, when you're getting him towards, the, when you're getting almost the truth out and you're, and you're breaking down their arguments. And this music that like boss music kicks on. And each game has a different one. But the first, in the first Ace Attorney, it has my favorite version of it. And in the third one, which is the end of the, all the narrative arcs that have been set up in, the, in that, those first three games, uh, when you're presenting the final piece of evidence, that fucking music from the first game kicks on. That's and I was sad. just, remember, I was in bed playing it my DS, and it was just out of, not really emotion, just out of sheer hype. A tear just like, came, down my, came down my face, and uh, I'll never forget it. <laughs> those games are, yeah, it's kind of beautiful, kind of embarrassing. It's both those, it kind of sums up me, beautiful and embarrassing at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm playing, uh, yeah, I'm playing. I had to put down Sky Resort for a while because uh, uh, the great Ace Attorney Chronicles came out, which is... Um, yeah, I'm curious. Like, I was on the eShop yesterday um, getting something for myself, and I saw this, and I was like, what is, like, what is this? I'll tell you what it is. It's um, a prequel to the Ace Attorney games. You play as Phoenix Wright's um, ancestor in, like, the early 1900s. and uh, Brilliant. Yeah, <laughs> and it's... Um, <laughs> Yeah, and it's it's originally it's two games in one. Uh, they originally came out on the 3DS and never got localized into the West or Japan only for years because of some kerfuffle with uh, licensing around the character of Sherlock Holmes, who is a main character in the game. Because Sherlock Holmes is a really weird thing. He's he's technically um, he's owned by an estate, isn't he? Like he's owned, yeah, he's, technic- yeah. he's technically he's uh, technically what you call a free license. What you call that? Uh, yeah, it's been around for so long. So yeah, but kind of there is past. some there's some really weird uh, the the Arthur Conan Doyle estate have some really weird stipulations of how the character is characterized, whether or not you can use him. And he was okay to use in Japan, but not in um in the West for some reason. Uh, 
if you give me a second, I, I, I read up just um, for, for this podcast, I read up on why they were able to release on the Switch after all after all these years. And it's really funny. Um, back in the day, uh, Maurice LeBlanc, who's the author of the Arsene Lupin, Lupin books uh, about a gentleman thief, back in the day, he included Sherlock Holmes in one of his books. Uh, so his character could like best him and like prove that his character was the better, like the more, the, the bigger genius or whatever. And Arthur Conan Doyle was, you absolutely can't use my fucking character like that. What are you doing? You mad lad. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mar- Mar- report, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And Maurice LeBlanc was like, all right. So he kept using him, but he changed his name to Herlock Sholmes. <laughs> and Arthur Conan Doyle was furious. So what's after happening is the Maurice LeBlanc books has after um, entering the free license thing. So the localization team of of um, of Phoenix or Ace Attorney just went okay. We'll just call him Herlock Sholmes, and no we'll say he was, we'll say he's based way. on the Maurice LeBlanc character, and that's how they finally got into the West. And I'm um, I'm really enjoying it. I I'm like I'm a huge mega fan of this franchise, even though I appreciate the kind of marmite nature of it. I like to I like to treat them as a, a kind of a book. You know, they're they're very mm. linear, and you're reading most of the time, but. As always, uh, this series has always had just brilliant English localization. Like, it's genuinely funny. The, trans- the translators put so much effort. Yeah. And this one is really fun. Um, 40 quid for two games that are about 30 hour each. So it was actually a proper bargain for once. And it's great. If you, like, I understand why people wouldn't like these games. But for me, they're just really funny. And I've played better um, um, investigation kind of deduction games. Like I, I think of something like Return of the Obra Dinn, which is my favorite kind of uh, detective game I've ever played. And I'm, I, I, I think Ace Attorney could be improved in so many ways. It could be less linear because uh, there's only one way to get through Ace Attorney. You, you read and read and read the story and then it stops and goes, figure out this part. And then there's one thing. And sometimes it can be thrilling when you get it. But if you don't really, if you're not following the cartoon logic of the case at the time, it can be kind of like frustrating. But I keep thinking if you improve or change Ace Attorney, it just wouldn't be that's the, the thing it's kind of like game that i know, know, your, know your audience you know yeah. what i mean They're like it's it's super accessible to yeah. gamers and non-gamers because when i tried yeah. uh, return of the Oberdin, uh like i could appreciate a lot of how the game mechanics worked but unless you were super invested and that's where your mind was all yeah. the time like yeah. it's it was a bit of a it was a bit of a chore and it's something that I actually found it was really difficult to go back to after a couple of days. If you oh yeah, hundred percent. You need you need to kind of um, shotgun it because it's a, uh, it's um yeah, it's really full on. You need to remember things. But yeah, I, I if there's if there's one person out there who's never played the Ace Attorney games, I, I could get them to play it by listening to the podcast because I kind of <laughs> when I, I played it when I was about eighteen on the DS, and it just became one of my favorite franchises. And I was very happy to give money to this one because Ace Attorney is one of those things that's barely a franchise. It has a huge cult following, but it always feels like this will be the last one. They'll, they'll never make another one. So I think they're localizing these two that are already made as a kind of test of water. Do, do people in the West want um, another one? And yeah, they're really fun. And they're like, I should put them on my my um, good gaming yarns as well, because they're very story driven and treat them like you're reading a comic or, or a book or something like that, because you're not playing for most of the time you're reading. Liam, correct me if I'm wrong. Were you playing Famicom Detef- Detective Club at some stage yeah. as well? Yeah. How, yeah, how do those how do those differ? Uh, Famicom Detective Club is much more self serious. There's no like there's an, there isn't a single joke in the entire thing. Uh, Phoenix mm. Wright or the Ace Attorney series is essentially a comedy. Uh, all the the cases like if you want very serious um, detective stories or CSI type things, go elsewhere. These are like nonsense. Car- like I I was right at home playing this new one because the first case. I was ascertaining that, oh, I think the victim was poisoned. And then someone was like, ha couldn't be poisoned because the poison you're suggesting that they use, um, it, it, it can't be ingested. It has to be um, 
enter through a wound in the body. And then I, and then I, and then I entered the evi- then I entered the evidence that the victim had had a tooth removed the day the, the, oh the day God. of the murder. So the poison could, and I was like, yes, this is nonsense. I'm in. <laughs> um, um, Famicom Detective Club is both a really awkward game. I, I was stuck for ages in that game because there's some very specific things of what to do, and also on the biggest difference would be it takes itself completely seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting because we're all playing visual novels to a mm. to a certain degree so i picked up i haven't started it so i'm looking forward to reporting back on it on our next episode um but i've heard a lot about doki doki literature club and yeah, it was it. yeah so i haven't it played is. it um it was about 20 bucks i believe on uh the nintendo eShop, and it's i'd like i it's one of those things i want to go in completely blind how blind um, are you now well, I I know nothing except for the fact that the description is the girl or like the game c- contains cute girls and fun activities, but the game is not suitable for children or those who are easily disturbed. Yeah, can I just ask our listeners because I just did it? Just just Google it and th- then go straight to image search. I am f- can't wait to hear you come back and talk about this game. <laughs> I, I, I would actually say if there's any listeners here who don't know what Doki Doki Literature Club is, maybe. I don't know. It's free on Steam. Uh, like it, it was never. They never charge money for it. Uh, maybe play it. It's. Um, I went in completely blind about four years ago when it came out, and it was one of those just extremely satisfying experiences because you know, just yeah, it's ridiculous. It's made by one yeah. guy. It's made by one oh, guy who does not like Japanese visual novels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's just yeah. It's a Western game. Like it's not Japanese. Talk about counterculture. Like, yeah. yeah, so I I have that purchased. Looking forward on reporting on that, wait, and then can't wait to hear yeah, with that. <laughs> and then on the side uh, in preparation for our our next duo of of games, which I think is okay to say that we'll be covering uh, the Last of Us and the Last of Us Two in the next two episodes. So I'm really looking forward to those. Um, which is also a good segue into what we're talking about today, because those two games are some of my favorite games of all time. And today. We are going to be talking about some of our favorite games um, and games that mean a lot to us. So I think, uh, Liam, I'm going to start with you today. I'm going to throw the baton over to you. Yeah, we just we, we just wanted to chill out today, didn't we? We were just like, no, we just want to talk about games we love. And I'll give a little bit of a spoiler. The three of us chose big fantasy set games. <laughs> it's re- No, it was really interesting because the conversation uh, that came before this was us saying like, okay... You know what? Marcy wanted to like choose on like Uncharted Two. I would have probably chosen The Last of Us or The Last of Us Two, but we wanted to cover those in their own individual episodes. So outside of that realm, it was funny seeing how we all came down to that kind of genre. It would have been nice if at least one of us chose something super manly like Duke Nukem or uh, Stardew Valley. You know, (laughs) but uh, yeah, I'm gonna shock no one. I'm talking about. I'm uh, I'm gonna talk about a Zelda game. It is. Literally my favorite game of all time. This isn't just a game that I, I love and cherish. This is, if 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 the question was asked, this is my favorite game of all time. I don't even think it's the best made Zelda game or anything like that, but it's my favorite one. Um, it is The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask for the Nintendo 64. And it came out in 2000. And, oh man, have you both played it? Or am I, are you, am I the only one who's played it? Actually, I've never played it. To, I've... I've never finished it i think i played it a couple of times but never never actually finished it yeah same uh mm. i remember getting it uh, obviously post ocarina and man i thought it was 
too difficult for me at the time. Mm. I remember uh, playing it as a kid and not being able to complete it because I found that I was too difficult. It was too off the beaten pad of what Zelda was for me growing up. Mm. Yeah, well, here's the thing. I, you know, I, lo- I love Zelda. And Zelda, um, Zelda kind of always introduces cool new mechanics and ideas and, and gameplay. But I think one thing that some people have criticized it for is that it's very, it very much sticks to its guns in terms of its, um, its story, a lot of rescue the princess, uh, get the Triforce, defeat Ganondorf. But there's a couple of them, uh, Owen, I believe you talked about Link's Awakening in one episode at one point. There's a couple of Zelda games that are really unique and they try really different things. And I think the most unique one ever made is Majora's Mask. It kind of just proves that like, when they want to, they can, like, I love the Zelda series as it is, but Majora's Mask sometimes makes me think, imagine if they took more, even more chances with this franchise, how weird, how weird it could go. It's, um, so Ocarina of Time, which we did an episode on, please listen to that. Ocarina of Time was just this huge game that cast mm-hmm. this immense shadow. And from what I know, and I didn't, I wanted to kind of just talk about this, you know, with my heart, I didn't do any research or anything before the episode started. But from what I know, uh, this was meant for the 64DD, do any of you remember that? Yeah. It was a cancelled add-on for Nintendo 64. Yeah. Well, I think um, it came out in, um, in Japan, Japan right? Right? But, it, but it floundered there as well. I think it came out, but didn't do anything. So it didn't. So it ended up, uh, halfway through, it ended up um, changing to just be a regular N64 game that required the expansion pack, which we talked yeah. about in our last yeah. episode, talking about Conquer. But what it was, was I, I, I believe Nintendo were looking at games on the franchises on the PS1, like your Tomb Raider and your Crash Bandicoot, and they were seeing, and, and their sequels, and they were seeing that these games have really short turnover in terms of um, how long they take to produce because they just reuse the engine of the first game. Like yeah, if you remember Crash Bandicoot assets, 2, yeah. yeah, and all the assets, Crash Bandicoot 2 came out the year after Crash Bandicoot 1 just because, you know, they had the engine built and they just worked, all they had to work on was designing new levels and, uh, you know, and refining a little bit. So that's what they wanted. They were like, we have this engine made for Ocarina of Time, took us years to make. We're going to reuse that and we're going to make a sequel and you fuckers have a year. <laughs> we, we want this, we want this in a year. So, um, well, the production to be a year, and the game eventually came out two years after uh, Ocarina of Time. But it was um, given to um, IGA Anuma. Uh, he was he designed dungeons for Ocarina of Time, and since then he's become Mister Nintendo, Mister Zelda at Nintendo. He like became the head of the franchise. He he was the lead designer on all of them until Breath of the Wild, which uh, uh, he oversaw, but he wasn't the lead designer on it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and what I love about it, this <laughs> production was yeah, it is. It's kind of like let's reuse all the assets, reuse characters, reuse enemies, reuse everything. But God damn it, they did not rest on their laurels in terms of like mm-hmm. just a kind of shitting out a sequel. It's a weirdly <laughs> ambitious, strange game. Like and it is uh, radically different. Like like <laughs> so it, yeah. it really is. Like Yeah, it's it's one of yeah, that's what I love about it, that they just that the team were were given this kind of brief, you know, make it quick and uh, use the engine, but they were just now nah, we're gonna do this crazy thing. It's time travel again. Ocarina of Time is based around um a time travel mechanic where you can jump between two timelines and seven years apart. But this one is um, you know, what's the obvious uh comparison is Groundhog Day, right? Mm-hmm. It's the same you're playing the same three days over and over again. You enter this world called Terminat, which is kind of a bizarre mirror world of 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 the usual land of Hyrule that's in Zelda games. That's that was the kind. It's kind of a dreamlike um, mirror of Hyrule, and that's the kind of in-universe explanation they gave to reusing all the same characters and getting <laughs> just giving them different names. So you meet you meet a lot of the same people you met in Ocarina of Time, but they're they're given different names. But yeah, Link is in this world, and the moon is about to crash and destroy the world in three days, and yeah, you gotta you gotta um, travel around and uh, summon these giants who catch the moon. 
but it's uh when when the three days are almost up you have to play a song in your arena and turn back time so you keep turning back time but what that means see, is yeah you see like i i I want to just point out there that that was one of the main uh, reasons why I actually couldn't um, fully grasp it when I was younger. One of the things, uh, mechanics in games that I don't like is feeling pressurized. Yeah, and sure. I think one of the things with uh, Majora's Mask is, as you said, it was like you had essentially 72 hours all the time and then you had to reverse time. And I don't like being, I don't like having that pressure. Um, yeah. I didn't like working a against the clock and i i like really really remember uh remember that from my from my childhood and it's even shit like nowadays when i think of just playing uh the resident evil 2 remake and uh fucking dude was what you know chasing you down through um the rpd i just don't like i just don't like that pressure and yeah. i think majora's mask had that i preferred the freedom that i usually yeah, have with yeah. my games. and that's completely valid um the weird thing about that is, uh, so the, the clock is always ticking in Majora's Mask, but there are ways to slow down the clock, and also there's there's ways to kind of um, skip time and go to a certain point at each day. But they kind of, I would have, if I designed that game, I would have made how to do that much clearer because it's something you have to kind of discover. But I think oh, that alleviates a lot of the pressure if you know how to slow down time in it and stuff like that. It's not the most hardest thing to find, but it is kind of hidden. And mm-hmm. how it's supposed to work is. Every time you turn back time, you lose all your money and you lose all your items. The only way to keep your money is to make use of an interdimensional banker, which is, um, but I love that. That's great. That's brilliant. But um, what you don't lose is uh, if you learn an ocarina song or you or you um, get an item, like a new bow or whatever, you don't lose that. So what you're supposed to do on is you're supposed to get to a point where, okay, I've learned this song that can summon this dungeon from out of the swamp. So if you're going, if you're about to go, if you're about to go into that dungeon, on you already have the song learned you reverse back to the beginning of day one. You undo all your progress, but you still have the song. So you can go straight to where you were and summon that dungeon. So that's what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be kind of making use of um, as much time as you can and kind of making it easier for yourself. And I agree that still goes completely what you said, that if you're just not into that kind of thing, the pressure mm-hmm. can be the pressure can be a bit kind of, um, kind of haunts the whole game. But I find um, making use of time and kind of maximizing your time as efficiently as possible is one of the kind of great things about it. Mm-hmm. But what I really love about this time travel mechanic and why the main reason I think is why it's my favorite um, Zelda game and game is that the world is much smaller than Ocarina of Time, but it's much more detailed. And mm-hmm. it, it, that's why it needs it needed the expansion pack because people, the people in the in this world, the, the clock town is the main town in it. They they live on schedules. If you when you go back to the beginning of day one, you can see characters and what they're doing on the morning of day one. If you're on day two, it rains at the same time, and you can and you can start kind of. It's kind of a hangout game in the sense that you're supposed to you're supposed to kind of meander around it. I think you're supposed to just kind of like okay, I'm not going to like try to progress. I'm just going to kind of explore Termina and explore Clocktown and 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 kind of see what I can find. And then you you just get sucked into these little stories. And then mm-hmm. you can start helping them if you when you learn their schedule, you can start, you know, finding out things you need to do. And it's a very um I'd say it's a very kind of human game. And it, for a Zelda game and for a game like this in general, it has a really weird tone, which is one of the yeah, best so things that, as well. Yeah. I vividly remember it being a much like, you know, just to throw it out there, a darker tone. And I think that's how a yeah. lot of, you know, outlets would describe it. But I do remember it being less uh whimsically lighthearted compared mm. to previous like it still has the the zany characters and such but it's a bit like visually it's kind of a bit more frightening i believe 
Yeah, it does, does, does a lot of weird stuff in it. Like uh, one of the main mechanics is why it's called Majora's Mask is like outside of the time travel, you can put on masks to transform Link into different forms. And when he puts on the mask, he like screams and it's, looks, the transformation looks painful. You know, it has that kind of weird tone. It, dark is a good way to put it. I, I think it's it kind of doesn't do it justice. So it's not really a dark game. It's melancholic. It's sad. I, I like the description that if, if a traditional Zelda is kind of a heroic legend, uh, Majora's Mask is sort of like a fairy tale. It's very weird and childlike, but kind of dark and sad under the surface, you know? And a lot of the plot lines you get sucked into. Like, it's it's, in, it's set in a world where the moon is about to crash down, and the moon has a fucking face that's, like, watching you, <laughs> yeah. the, that's watching you the whole time. Everything. But it's a world that, like, feels like you kind of can witness the characters kind of resigning themselves to the apocalypse and they're all kind of, you know, they're afraid and they don't know what's coming. It's a, I don't know, it's a very 2020 type game, I would say. Like, I, I think it got a kind of a second kind of resonance. Uh, I played it during 2020 because I, I kind of played every year, but I did kind of feel when I was playing it last year, like that, that kind of reflected the world. It's a, it's a, yeah, it's a very, it's a very kind of tragic she's gonna cry cry. it's just very tragic second time yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's just very tragic and i love but it's not it's not like a a tearjerker and like that there's just this vibe about the whole thing that's just very it's very sad and i i like all the graphically graphic um improvements over the years and like we could do the atmosphere i don't there's very few things that kind of resonated with me as much as if you get to the very end of the third day and the moon is about to crash down and just the atmosphere, the music that plays, it's just so sad. And you talk to the NPCs or all these goofy Zelda characters and they're all terrified and they're, they're resigning themselves to their own death. And you can travel back and go to the first day and save yourself, but you can't save them. And I think that is just a really, really cool world to kind of be in for me for a video game. And it's weird. And many games haven't really... Zelda games usually kind of get copied in some of the things, but Majora's Mask is still a kind of unique thing all these years later and yeah and i i i love it for that reason i also think it has some brilliant dungeons uh if you if you want to go to the nitty-gritty of uh, of being a zelda game it has much less dungeons that was really controversial at the time uh, like ocarina of time has like eight main dungeons mm-hmm. and a bunch of kind of smaller ones and then majora's mask has four but they're really good ones um i think in, uh, in terms of length then is it a, is it a shorter more condensed game than ocarina? no not not really it's much less it's much less punchy uh, like Ocarina of Time moves on like a good clip. Uh, Majora's Mask has more stuff you're doing between the dungeons, mm-hmm. kind of the. But like I said, it's a game that you're supposed to kind of hang out in and kind of linger around and discover things. I think I, I say this as a compliment and as an insult. It's a game that took a year to make, and you can kind of tell it they didn't have time to reflect on some of their decisions, whether it was good or bad, and that gives it a lot of its personality and a lot of its uniqueness. But there's some things in it that um are kind of this is too vague, you know this is too like this is too difficult to discover on your own this or this is unless unless you're really just kind of spending time and not progressing you're not going to discover all these little secrets lads which i think is good and bad it got um remade for the 3ds in like 2015 and it's a frustrating remake because it's re it's way better in certain ways it has like a very modern kind of a side quest menu that shows you all the people you've interacted with and exactly what mm. they're doing and you much easier to kind of chronicle all the things you got going and and you can it's in the old game if you want to skip forward in time you can like jump to the evening of a day or the morning of a day but in the remake you can go to any hour you want if you need if you have to do something at two o'clock in the second day you can just warp straight to two o'clock in the second day it just cuts down all the all the faff of waiting around <laughs> but then there's just 
design or like design choices that are worse which is really annoying like um you can turn into different creatures like i said the zora link he can swim and he just controls way worse than the 3ds one and there's a couple of annoying bosses that were kind of bland and annoying in the original game so they tried to improve them in the 3ds ones and just made them bland and annoying in different ways so it's really annoying that i can't just go categorically the 3ds of majora's mask is the better one because it is and it isn't but I think if I was really like 3DS games are kind of hard to find these days, but if I was recommending a newcomer to Majora's Mask, I'd be like track down the um, the 3DS one. I think it's the more palatable way to play the game personally. I think own, I think it might alleviate a lot of the problems you had with it when you were younger. Yeah, I got to find It's just a little, it's just 3DS a little. Now. Yeah, 3DS, you know, that's why I thought this is, this is Zelda's 35th year anniversary, which I've brought up numerous times in this podcast. And I was for sure thinking like they did with the Mario games that they were going to start releasing Zelda games in the Switch. Mm. And if they release Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask on the Switch, I personally will be really annoyed if they don't release them as their 3DS remakes, which I think are personally for me the better versions of both games. But it's, it's annoying because, like I said, Majora's Mask is my absolute favorite game and I'd love for more people to experience it. Uh, when it came out, it was in the shadow of Ocarina of Time and people were kind of didn't know what to, I remember even as a kid, people didn't really know what to think of it. But now all these years later, I think you're, it's probably one of the most popular Zelda games. And you're, if you're into Zelda fandom, you're a real cool kid. If you, if you think Majora's Mask is the best one, because it's not yeah. really. Yeah. There is so that it, sentiment. Like there, there is that yeah. sentiment. You know what I mean? It's, it's kind of like the, the black sheep of the bunch, but that everyone really loves. Yeah, if you love it, you really love it. And I think if, if if you don't vibe with it, then, you know, I think a lot of people probably played a few hours of that game and never picked it up again because it's just so strange. But um, you're looking at two of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I play it about once a year. I play Ocarina, Ocarina of Time about once a year as well. Um, uh, it wasn't my favorite for Age, but I played it back in 2000 when it came out. I found it really hard. Uh, like there's some really like amazing uh, level designs. in this. There's one place called the Stone Tower Temple that is a dungeon that you can flip upside down so that you're now standing, all the rooms are upside down and then you're like f- standing on the roofs now and what used to be the floor. You have to think about the dungeon like in different dimensions. And it's an amazing piece of level design. I won the best ever in a Zelda game. But when I was a kid, I found that stuff very hard. And I actually, when I finished it in, as a kid in 2000, I didn't pick it up again for years, like about seven or eight years, I think. And I was kind of like, yeah, Majora's Mask is the weird one, but I remember liking it. But then when I f- was a teenager and I replayed it, I was like, just got I became obsessed with it. and that's really when it became my favorite game of all time not when it came out in 2000 but I really do I really you, do you can relate to it as an angsty teenager Liam. <laughs> I can relate to it as an angsty teenager and I can relate to it even more as just downtrodden adult <laughs> but I think yeah, yeah no I was I was I was gonna say it's like it is it is one of the games that's on that bucket list of this is something that I need and want to revisit at one stage. We've spoken about freaking Nintendo's accessibility in terms of getting access to their yeah, games and so they just annoying. don't fucking make it easy. You know what I mean? So like I would have to track down a 3DS and probably pay through my nose and ears to get my hands on that cartridge as well at this stage. Um, look, I'm, not, I'm not willing version, to pay 200 bucks. Yeah, the N64 version is available on the Wii U and the Wii, I think. Just not on the Switch. It's just it's weird. Nintendo are weird. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why they they are the way they are. Just fucking release old games. Borrow it from your old friend Liam. 
Yes. Get your own friendly in there to give you an end of it. Absolutely. You just take care well, of it. Well, where's your like. 3DS, Marcy? Is it in Ireland or is it in uh, Canada? It's literally right behind the, com- the, the computer I'm using. I'm looking at it right now. The 3DS XL 7.89 XL squared, whatever it's fucking called. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, you can borrow well, mine. <laughs> well, look, lads, you know, I've actually, that's all I wanted to do since I started this podcast was just talk about Majora's Mask. I, <laughs> I was the one who suggested this episode <laughs> because, <laughs> I went, because I wanted to talk about my favorite game ever. And that's really, I'm, I'm happy with that. I think I sold it really well. It is, I've, I, I prefer it over any other game I've ever played. It, it just sticks with me. I think as well, I talked last week when I was talking about Skyward Sword, I made a point and I thought to myself, damn it, I should make that point next week instead. But now I'm just going to make the point twice. <laughs> Is that when Zelda when Zelda is too story driven, it gets in the way of what's good about Zelda. And I think Skyward Sword and also Twilight Princess. Now Twilight Princess is a fucking awesome game. I'm not shitting on it. But Twilight Princess and Skyward Sword are a little bit too story driven, a traditional narrative narratively driven then for for their own good. Skyward Sword, I haven't played it recently, there's way too much build up at the start of talking to the headmaster in Zelda about, you know, pretty standard fantasy shite. And uh Majora's Mask throws you right in, right into it. And it's it's narrative is told like through the world and through the characters that you meet and you don't have to meet a lot of them some of it's all optional but it's really is like and zelda games are one of the best things about zelda games are not their stories but i really do think it's one of the best interactive stories ever told just because it's just this wonderful world to explore and and uh it's not a huge one like it's not a big open world thing it's quite small for a zelda game but it's just so rich in detail even for a nintendo 64 game it's a bit ugly these days like a lot of n64 games are uh, the 3DS one is much nicer looking, uh, uh, but a lot of people online think they will fight for the the original N64 one. They think the murky graphics uh, kind of suit the kind of tone of that game. I think they are just nostalgic in the wrong ways, <laughs> to be honest. Um, it's not the nicest looking game anymore. But the art style is fantastic. But yeah, um, I can end this podcast forever now. I'm off because I got to talk about Majora's Mask. <laughs> and that's why we have time today, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in. Oh, lads, we can move on to the next one. Thanks for listening to me. <laughs> <laughs> Liam, I, I will forever listen to you speak about Zelda. Uh, that is passion. not a concern. <laughs> I, think, I think it's actually a good transition into... Um, Marcy, your game, because they're both, but they're both similar and different. And they hold similar qualities, but very, very different qualities at the same time. Absolutely. No, I was actually making a face because Liam actually just went off camera. So he was really being serious. (laughs) He's just finished. Here Um, I am. Sorry. I'm back. Um, Yeah, it's so weird. I've been trying to, I was going to write down some notes for this, but kind of like Liam, I was thinking, do you know what? Let me just kind of speak um, from the heart um, and kind of bring you back to 2011. Because a lot of why I've chosen this game is kind of the, the, the things that were going on in my life at the time as well, uh, I guess kind of shape why I love it so much. Um, so it is uh, Skyrim, um, which is something I think we probably wouldn't have talked about in the podcast. Man, dude, I that, I, is that fair to say? Probably because of me. Yeah. Probably because of me, maybe. Yeah, it's yeah. a huge game, right? So you, like, you have to put aside hundreds of hours. Um, but I didn't know that you were into Skyrim this much. I, I have oh, no man. idea how I brushed over that. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's I don't know if it's, it's if it's actually my favorite game of all time. Um, that will, will will probably be Metal Gear Solid Three, which I'm sure someday we'll uh, do an episode on, and maybe Dara or Breen will join us. Um, <laughs> <laughs> put, 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 putting that out there now. We'll um, see. Yeah, we'll see. Um, 
but yeah, so it came out in 2011. If you don't know Skyrim, which you probably do, because it's been re-released on absolutely every platform uh, imaginable, um, you play uh, the Dragonborn, who is like this, you know, basically savior uh, of Skyrim, which is like a small region in, in Tamriel. Uh, it's a sequel to Oblivion, but I don't think it's like a direct sequel. I think it's like set hundreds of years uh, in the future. Um, but it's it's very much kind of putting you in the you know the shoes of of a character that you can create from the ground up. You want to be you know uh, this kind of large tank creature with with you know four swords and not an actual tank. Oh, sorry, I meant like kind of size of the human being, uh, not an actual <laughs> tank for anyone listening who thinks it's now World War Two. <laughs> But yeah, it's really, a it's, very different game to what I thought it was. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, but yeah. So really, the, the, your idea is that you know dragons have returned uh, to Skyrim after centuries of them being gone, um, and there's one true dragonborn uh, who can defeat them. Um, which sounds really silly when you say it out loud. No, it's it sounds awesome. very <laughs> fantasy. You know, yeah, it is. It's that is incredibly fantasy. fantasy. Yeah, that's what. That's the kind of stuff you want video games to be about. It's really high fantasy, just fantasy in the lord of the rings kind of way and also fantasy in the like i'm the dragonborn kind of yeah, way you know? exactly yeah yeah so i'm yeah. so glad you brought lord of the rings up uh, liam so um i don't think i've seen movies that had more of an impact on me in the cinema when i was younger um like i remember when the return of the king ended being like drained of energy and i was just like oh my god that chapter of my life is over now and ever since then i wanted a video game that kind of didn't replicate that, but kind of put you in the same kind of shoes of this epic adventure where you travel across, you know, these you know fantasy worlds um, and like to be kind of like, you know, the saver at the end of the day. And th- that itch had never really been scratched. Um, and also, both you'll know this as well. At the time, back in two, you know, 2011, um, I really wasn't into RPGs that much. Like they weren't mm. really, like I was still very much kind of into the, the RTS yeah, you were a PC gamer around that time. Yeah, exactly, right? So um, I really just wasn't into that at all, uh, which is funny because Skyrim is absolutely a, a PC game. Um, but anyway, I, in, I think it was the summer of 2011, um, I picked it up. I picked it up because I knew I was getting knee surgery uh, that week. And I was like, okay, I'm going to be on my ass for like, you know, at least a week. Um, so something gets me to play. Um, I think I, I picked up that. And what was the other game? Oh, the saboteur! Do you remember that? It was like a yeah, a it was radically awful. different. Was it oh, awful? It was so bad. Oh, I was just okay. like, I remember because I remember putting it in. <laughs> radically and I, different. I, 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 yeah, I know, right? Um, I remember putting it into the PS3, and I was like, I literally can't get up to turn it off, and I'm devastated. Um, I had to call my dad to come down. I was like, Dad, can you swap the discs for me? Um, but because uh, <laughs> so, I literally could move from the surgery, right? Um, but yeah, Skyrim. I there's so many reasons why I love it. Um, I think for for me it's it as a game has lots and lots of flaws um lots of technical glitches lots of hiccups um but kind of like what you were talking about majora's mass liam for me it's the characters and the the side stories as much as the actual Mm -hmm. main story um so like it really is it's you know it's the type of game where i can kind of see why people really dislike it in a way um because people get so fanboy over it and, and so you know obsessed with it um but i can almost verbatim uh talk people through the first like five to six missions i i know all the dialogue I've, i think i've played through skyrim six times now um you know on the pc ps3 and even the switch um but what i love about it is that it just gives me the freedom to kind of uh, to really go through the story in any way i want at any pace i want um like i 
so many games, especially today, talk about giving you freedom of choice. You know, we've got either dialogue options or ways you can uh, approach a mission, you can take on a mission. Skyrim to me is the only one that truly lets you kind of go, okay, I'm going to do whatever I want here. Um, which sometimes um, can be to the detriment of, of the actual game. Um, I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, there's one of the main cities you, you come across in Skyrim all the time is, is Whiterun. Um, and uh, I had like spent like 15 hours just searching through every house in Whiterun, talking to every NPC character, trying to get to know as much as I could. Um, and I was about, yeah, about tw- maybe 25 hours in the game as a whole. Um, I, I was playing, uh, it's going to sound so nerdy. I'm so glad I have a girlfriend already. Um, but uh, I was playing a high elf stealth archer, um, which if you that's are... That's her type, Liam, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the, ladies, the ladies were swooning back in 2011, I tell you. Um, but it's, 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 if you play Skyrim, people are listening now right now and going, oh my God, what a... What a noob. Like everyone does that playthrough, but it's a great first time playthrough because it's, it's like a very overpowered build or whatever. Um, but I had gotten into this kind of this headspace of being like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the Dragonborn, man. I'm like, I throw my weight around and I go to these little villages and, and do what I fucking want. Um, but I went into this blacksmith um, who I had asked to simply, like, hey, I need to upgrade this armor. You know, can you do that X, Y, and Z? Um, and obviously built into this blacksmith's uh, you know, character was kind of like a bit of sass and a bit of sarcasm. Um, so I killed him. I killed him where he stood um, because I was just, I was so, I was like, who, oh, how dude, dare you? Empty eyes when you said that. Oh, yeah, man. No <laughs> like remorse, a doll's eyes. Like no a doll's remorse eyes. at all. But what I love about Skyrim was he stayed dead for the entire game. Gotcha, yeah. Uh, to the point where I got to, uh, I think the quest is called Civil War. And uh, <laughs> this is, what's his name? General General to, I can't remember, General Decidus or something. He's like, I need you to go to Whiterun. There's a blacksmith I, there who oh, can build no you a sword. Way. And I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> I was like, I think I know that blacksmith. Um, so I get on my horse, travel the way to Whiterun, um, meet this blacksmith. I'm like, okay, he's obviously like regenerate. He's alive again, right? Just to kind of get the story uh, moving ahead. Nope, he was dead. Uh, and it's, it's, I think it's the second largest quest uh, in Skyrim. So that's what I'm saying. It's kind of one of the stories where I love the realism. I love the fact that that now is a, a playthrough I... I created myself because I killed a character, yeah. but also kind of annoying because again, it is a video game. I'd love to have kind of played through that. So I kind of, I kind of yeah. lean into the more annoying part. I, I, yeah. I love hearing about that in theory, like I, as as game design and and as live, living, breathing worlds in a game. But if I was playing that, I'd be annoyed. Yeah, that's just the kind of person I am. I know, and I, a bit of a, I feel like a bit of a party pooper sometimes when I talk about stuff like that. No, because like, what if it happened by accident, right? I'd already put yeah. in twenty five hours into the game, and one of the longest quest lines was now you know unavailable to me. Um, but yeah, I just remember you know my knee all bandaged. I couldn't really walk around the house. I was like confined to this bed. Um, I just got sucked in uh, to the game. And such I uh, I just chose not to say it, Marcy, that you could have taken an arrow to the knee. You know. <laughs> Wow, that was no one ever made that joke. Oh man, all all the tur- all the turkey rolls who listen to our podcast will love that reference. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Um, we can use that for marketing. That's excellent. Yeah, um, I do have a question for you though. So, as having killed the blacksmith, <laughs> do you then go back to the general and report that he is dead? Is like, is that how it works? I, I wish it was that smart, um, but it's not. So it, Skyrim has, and I, it's man, I, I've come across maybe 10 of them. Um, Skyrim is pretty well known for being fairly buggy. 
even after all these remasters and reissues, right? Um, so I did do that, got back on my horse, um, uh, went the whole way back to the general and said, hey, you know, I was probably making it sound like it was just like this really kind of laid back, hey, man, what's up? <laughs> you know, he's dead. Um, look, but it, just, it, was, it, just it was an accident. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, look, it happens, right? Um, <laughs> Liam's very upset about it. Um, but, uh, <laughs> no, it just, the, the mission just ended. It was just like it kept spinning around. I've had it happen a couple of times um, where I accidentally killed um a companion on a quest with me and then i got a quest later like hours later to meet him at a certain point and he's not there it's just and it's all that's there is the mission marker and i was like okay, i must be awake and activate this mission blah blah i ne- i didn't even know i had killed him um but right. again it was another kind of you know a game breaking bug which is really I, so far this doesn't sound like i like this game at all um but <laughs> it, it tends to be the way you often talk about games on Marzi. you know you, I know, you talk about the great irish games, we, thing, can, yeah. we can tell that you yeah. actually love the game but that's, that's why you're talking about the bits that don't work for you exactly you know? yeah yeah I, I would love it was perfect but um there's something about that game um i i i feel you both probably have games like this as well um i can put that game on and it's just it's like I'm on autopilot. I, I'm I'm not really, I'm not having to like think about playing it even. I don't even have to kind of really, you know, I could be doing something else at the same time and still be enjoying it. It's it's like a mixture of nostalgia and just kind of like comfort playing mm-hmm. a game that I know really I can just kind of stroll around and just take in the world and enjoy it. Um, but everything from the the music, like I, that that, that soundtrack got me through university, um, my last year <laughs> university in particular, um, because I would literally put on, um, I think his name is um, uh, Jeremy Soul. Um, I would just put on that that music in the background and just study away. Uh, yeah. li- you should have seen it. him walking between lectures, Liam. He just <laughs> walked. <laughs> he just strolled. <laughs> Why are you making fun of me in my game? We're fucking l- l- lapping up Liam's passion. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm like, <laughs> oh, it's so sad. <laughs> <laughs> The Zelda um, game is bad. Yeah. Uh, but, <laughs> but man, there is some of the one of the one thing we talk about a lot in this podcast is like games not uh, respecting your time, um, mm. and you know side quests being repetitive, fetch quests, all these kind of just things just to fill fill the hours and kind of grind up your level. Um, Skyrim does have that, but it also has some of the best side quests I think I've I've ever mm. played in any game. Mm. Um, and, and as so far very, as I know. And as far as I know, ones that can could just completely like they open up and it's just a whole chunk of a game that you can miss, like and they're like yeah. huge, and you can like turn into vampires and stuff like that, right? Yeah, exactly. Huh? Yeah, v- vampires, uh, werewolves. I think vampires was uh, one of the expansion packs, uh, Dawnguard. Mm. Um, but yeah, that, that's what's kind. Of, you never really know what's coming with the side quest you're going on. Uh, mm. It could be just to go collect, you know, flowers for I don't know some princess or whatever, and you end up going into this, you know, four hour. Uh, multi-tiered uh, kind of uh, quest, which is so, so awesome. Um, and it also has one thing I, I have loved about it over the years is, you know, when I got into PC gaming at first, um, what I loved, and it's, it's you know, I probably still in the same really, what I used to, what I loved doing was optimizing video games, which sounds very boring, but I love seeing a video game played at like, the best way it can be mm-hmm. physically played. You know what I mean? Um, and so when I fought, when I finally was able to, and old enough to actually build a PC that I'd always wanted about maybe two years ago, um, first thing I bought was Skyrim, just to play this 2011 game on Ultra 4K um, and just kind of soak it all in because there's something it's so also beautiful like about the, that. The community of modders, right? Isn't, oh, isn't Skyrim like known for the modding community and how sure. much the massive. community has enhanced that game? 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, it, it, you, you technically can play Skyrim today and have it look like a, a brand new game. Um, you know, I, I think when I play, I, but man, this is going to, again, like I'm so glad I have a girlfriend. Um, some of the mods I play uh, <laughs> currently um, would be like capes. Um, didn't know I needed capes, but yeah, you can have capes in the game now, um, which is absolutely amazing. Uh, Liam looks do? disgusted. Well, no, gives, no, I know. I'm gives cape. you a cape. I actually feel like I'm going to sneeze. <laughs> that's, that was, that's all that look was. <laughs> Sorry, it happened just as uh, you're talking about capes. So I apologize. <laughs> do, you, do you want us to wait? No, no, no. no. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, but yeah, all it does is add capes. Um, that's all it oh. does. Um, but some of the mods can be like people have created entire six seven hour storylines um yeah, into the game I know, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm not big i'm not big into uh the modding community as a humble console gamer but i love hearing stuff like that the passion for it's people awesome. to just keep a game fresh and get to add content for it it's like yeah i mean doing stuff like that in your youth and can, just doing anything creative like that can get you into the industry you know and get you making stuff you know absolutely like the video games so. you used to make didn't you used to make res for dog uh, video games i used to make games on rpg maker yeah and one time i tried to create the opening scene of reservoir dogs but then i realized that all the characters were just sitting down so all i was doing was writing <laughs> the script for reservoir dogs because no character no character had to move or anything like that but yeah i used to make little rpgs on rpg maker and i have huge fond memories of that that's a whole different vibe than uh the modding community of games like gta and skyrim though honestly but thank you for bringing that up no, that's say, probably the yeah it's probably the next evolution of this business model mm. for us anyway Mm. <laughs> yeah exactly yeah uh i have two questions for you oh, no, one okay. is did you ever fully complete story-wise skyrim yeah oh yeah yeah just six seven times yeah i oh, really? my my longest playthrough was uh, about 650 hours are you um, kidding me yeah yeah, yeah. And it, it was on the ps3 um and like, i'm gonna like, sneeze i'm so shocked <laughs> No, I'm not. No, sorry. Not, no. I was waiting. <laughs> I'm like, you know, you, you hate when you need to sneeze and you can't. I think I'm yeah, sharing it with yeah. you. Um, but my PS3, like that's I, that's what killed my PS3. Um, the bigger that save file got, um, right, right. The, the more my PS3 couldn't handle it. Um, and it just really started to chug along. Um, what, what was your second question? You have another question. For uh, how many times have you purchased Skyrim? <laughs> Sure, remember when the Switch was announced and I was there kind of like, oh my god, New Zelda and please show a new Mario. But everyone was like, oh my god, you can get Skyrim on it. And it was already so old, but people, the idea of playing it handheld just blew people's minds, you know? And they're yes. always excited for that game. Yeah, I, which is, yeah, I'll ask, maybe I'll ask you guys a question in a second. But um, yeah, I bought it five times. Wow. Go on, no, listen, oh, hold on. PC? Uh, uh, PC, PS3. PC twice. PS3, PS3. PS4. Uh, yes, and Switch, uh, Switch. Switch, yeah. And w- w- once I guess some form Steam of your that's Steam, yeah, damn, yeah, okay, so seven times probably. Um, but it's just something that's it, it just it is a definite form of nostalgia to like an easier time when I was just sitting on my arse <laughs> and having to, no responsibilities. People, people shit on nostalgia in terms of video games, and I was like, you, you say you like a game. That's just nostalgia, like mm. like it's a fucking bad thing. Nostalgia is perfect for video games. They're, video games are warm and cozy, and if you can feel nostalgia for something, you should because that's yeah. a good feeling. You know, I agree. Uh, yeah, you love games with your heart, not with your head. That's what I always say. I say it to everyone. I say it to my dentist. I don't care. Leave <laughs> <laughs> open your mouth. Stop. Stop talking. Um, but yeah, ironic, like, ironic I, that their favorite game is Dental Surgeon Twenty 
21, you know, for the DS. <laughs> yeah, trauma center. Have you played the Alexa version? Oh, no, <laughs> from the, 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 the skit, the, the Keelan Pills skit? It's not a skit, it's real. No, it's not. Um, Skyrim is on Alexa. Sky, yeah, I have one beside me, I'm afraid to wake her up. But it's uh, it's real. Like you, it's um, it's like a choose your own adventure storybook, and you do your, you know, you just say your actions, and it presents you with two or three, and you pick one, and it takes you along a, a path. Skyrim very special edition. Well, then I guess I'll have purchased it eight times. Um, but, but I think if I played a hundred hour long game on Alexa, I think I'd fall in love with Alexa during it. Like her, I think of <laughs> like her. I think it would just be a bond. Yeah. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Why, why yeah. haven't either of you? What stopped both of you from picking up and playing it? Because it is, it, it does get talked about as one of the best games ever made oh, man, I quite have, a lot. I have you, no ill will towards it. I had it on the 360 back in 2011. Uh, I bought it. It was my first Elder Scrolls, I'll admit. I, I was late to the game. And I just, after about 20 hours, I just put it down. And there's no reason, really. I was just, I don't know. I, I have no idea. Because uh, I remember Skyward Sword came out the same year. And, you know, I was, I'm always picking up Zelda and Nintendo. But I remember going... I know why no one really gives a shit about Skyrim Sword and why Skyrim is just this zeitgeisty, exciting game. And I, re- I was getting into the story of it and everything, or the side stories and the freedom. Now, I'm not the biggest guy for open world games, but um, Skyrim, Skyrim has always been one I've regretted putting down. And like I said, no ill will. It just happened. But I yeah. think if I was going to play one of the big fantasy open world games that I haven't got around to, I think I'd do The Witcher, the Witcher 3 before yeah. I do Skyrim. So I don't know if I'll ever play Skyrim at this point, to be honest. I'm yeah. one of the only people in the world, I say. Yeah, I own it, right? I was one of those people that um, saw it, that it came to the Switch. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of, you know, it, it's partly like I'm that person who has never played it before. I see it's coming to Switch. It's the natural console um, for me to play it on because Skyrim is that is that game, Marcy. You put 650 hours into one save file. Doing yeah. that on the go is just much more accessible. Mm-hmm. And like Liam, I think I put like 15, 20 hours. I wasn't quite enjoying it, although, you know, it was dated, right? I think it was yeah. like the novelty was there, obviously, of of playing it in handheld mode. But some of these games aren't necessarily suited to handheld mode. And I think, I think Skyrim was one of them. I think Skyrim uh, actually is like a big, uh, big screen experience. Um, there's just something about exploring uh, that world that isn't the same when you're playing it on on a small screen. Um, but it, I was the same. I just put it down for one reason uh, or another. I think it might have been for Splatoon 2, actually, to be honest. And I feel about that. Yeah, go on. Yeah, and I just never went back to it. Like, and yeah. and that, that was the thing. I I think I think a game like Skyrim where there is you know, there is a through line in terms of the narrative, but you are shaping it to a certain degree about what decisions you make at what time and where you go, that if you step out of that for any amount of time, that it's detrimental to your experience because you are you go back to it and you're like, where was I? What was I doing? Who, like, at what point was I at? And you almost kind of need to create a new save file and, and, and start from scratch. I, I don't know if I ever had that kind of an issue because I think it's it does a good enough job just about because it is and if I compare it to say the Fallout games so what you just said would happen with the Fallout games quite a lot uh, particularly New Vegas which is why I never really kind of got into um 
into those games and i was so excited about them um after playing skyrim i was like wow i've got all these great bethesda games to kind of jump into but just didn't get hooked um but i do think skyrim does a good enough job of kind of having that overarching story you know of you know you're fighting alduin this you know legendary dragon um to kind of give you kind of you know a, a, a direction to go in it's kind of you know you're always kind of heading towards that but yeah, i totally get why you know some folks haven't got pulled into it um i tried to make you know steph play it just so i can talk to someone about it but just in as much depth but, as i'd like but, 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 um, honestly, i find it's one of those games that like I, i'm such a huge gamer and it's just hung over me for a decade now that i haven't played it because everyone seems to have played it that's what i find and, and people tend to love it as well yeah people are always just like it's the best game ever like you almost feel i almost feel kind of rejected if i haven't played it oh this guy doesn't know anything he doesn't what he what's the point of talking about him in video games he hasn't played skyrim you know i feel like people really really love it i think some people of a certain age as well who may be a little bit younger than us really love it because yeah, it's probably do. it probably came out when they were like children and it's like their game and i find i find like i never find anyone who's going like oh like me i have like oh i own which is very exciting now but who i have i wasn't able to get into skyrim i put it down people tend to like love it and have played it multiple times that's why i always find yeah absolutely and, it, and it's it's kind of it's the same with you guys and with the witcher as well right it's kind of one of those yeah, games yeah, that you hangs over me too yeah but but they're they're so similar in so many ways right mm-hmm. they really really are um obviously the witcher being you know, you're actually playing a character like Geralt, which is why the witcher is a very close you know second for me in favorite games of, of all time um because what i love about skyrim is it just gives me that kind of creativity to to have my own story and kind of play through my own kind of way, which I absolutely love. Um, mm-hmm. I'm probably going to go play it now the minute this, this podcast is over because I've been talking about it so much. I'm kind of excited about it. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so I, might, I might leave now as well, actually, because my bit's done too. So And I will sit and speak about my game by myself, <laughs> apparently. For <laughs> I would listen to that, Owen. You have a lovely voice. And I edit the episode sometimes. I'm just like, that Owen, huh? I like being alone with your voice. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, really, I really wish I had left now. I know. And like, what do I say to that? You know, without making things too weird. Um, but the, uh, the game that I'm bringing to the table today, which I'm excited to talk about, and I know Liam is, Marcy, I know, you, I, I know you're not a, a fan of the RPG um, style of game, and I know you're not massively into the Final Fantasy games. Um, I, I actually will correct you. I, RPGs are my favorite games. It's JRPGs that I find it very difficult to get into. Um, the, one of the more recent Final Fantasies where you're you driving to, around you the car. You need to grow up. You need to grow up and start <laughs> playing JRPGs. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I never thought, never thought anyone would ever say that to me. Sorry, Owen, go ahead. I uh, know, but it, it's, it's a good... I'm going to convince you to, to play uh, Final Fantasy IX. That's exactly what I'm going to do because it's super accessible now because you can play it on the Switch and you can fast-forward everything. Hmm. But you tried to maybe play one of the more... Was it Final Fantasy fifteen And like... That first scene where I'm driving in a car with four lads with a bunch of boy band music on. I'm just like, what? What is this? How game? was that any different to our childhood growing up? <laughs> Am I wrong? Touche. Touche. I I want to be Ignis. If that's the case, I've come up with a new recipe. Jesus Christ! Sorry. Oh my God. Um. Yeah. So the game that uh kind of um like Marcy said, it's it's one of those um. Or maybe if it was Liam, I forget. It's been so long now. Is I don't know if it's the best game that has been made, but it's definitely my favorite, or at least one of my favorites. Um, and that is Final Fantasy IX. Um, and it's kind of 
it's an interesting case of Final Fantasy because it's a bit of the odd one out. Um, so in uh, a bit of history about it, um, end of PS1 era released in uh, 2000, I believe it was. And same year as my game. Yes, it was. And it's not the same year as the game I talked about. No, Get def- out. definitely just, uh, not. Just want to clarify that. Yeah. But it was almost kind of like the stepchild to a certain degree of Final Fantasy um, games, kind of like Majora's Mask was, because in 2000, and uh, Liam, I don't know if you know this, but um, Square held an event, uh, like a Squaresoft, I think they were still Squaresoft at the time, um, event where they had Final Fantasy IX on display. But at the same event, they also announced Final Fantasy X and Mm -hmm. Final Fantasy XI. So Final Fantasy IX was in this super weird spot because it was uh, it came out just, I think it was like three months before the PlayStation 2 came out. And they had already announced the following two Final Fantasies. So it was stuck in um, a weird place where all the hype was already happening for Final Fantasy X. Yeah, which was on Next Generation and had voice oh. acting. And it just felt fancier and newer, right? Exactly. It was uh, It was kind of like, you know, the, the leap that... Uh, everyone wanted and I, I think square square kind of like naughty dog in the sense that at the time anyway those they were the pioneers in you know fmv sequences in in graphics um a lot of people looked at those games uh like the landmark technical achievements you know like it was like final fantasy 7 being uh lauded as the cinematic experience and then final fantasy 8 was such a an, a leap even from that in terms of character design but Final Fantasy Nine, you know, speaking of nostalgia and why games are great for nostalgia, is Final Fantasy Nine is the, the entire thing is built on nostalgia, mm-hmm. um, and it's something that was lost on me at the time of release, but something that I've later in life come to appreciate um, even more. But you know, Final Fantasy Seven and Final Fantasy Eight, um, from like an art direction point of view, kind of veered off away from. Uh, traditional fantasy of of you know uh, wizards mages um and so be it to more kind of techno cyberpunky um you could even say emo-esque kind of vibes within that world <laughs> almost took, like its main characters just like they were so inner brooding um and you know like why must i do this and why must i go on and always like question you know to a certain degree just question themselves and just being emo for the sake of being emo because that was you, you were such an emo in 2000 as well do you remember this fucking complete lies like you i <laughs> you had maybe throw those fingerless gloves everywhere and you're always wearing ma- mascara uh to be fair i did wear a choker for uh, about two years uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah they were like they were very kind of you know uh futuristic tech but like industrial um cyberpunkish but like Final Fantasy Nine was the image of like fantasy, um, and it was nostalgia for some because it kind of played like the greatest hits of the Final yeah, Fantasies exactly. that exactly, came yeah. before it. So, like to to preface, I actually didn't play. I didn't get into Final Fantasy really until seven. I was one of those people who didn't get onto the franchise until um, we own. I, I told you in our Final Fantasy Seven episode, you couldn't have. Final Fantasy Seven was the first Final Fantasy that came out in Europe. Mm-hmm. We but, didn't uh, have the other ones. And, America and Japan. And I think like my kind of RPG and fantasy knowledge really came from I'm trying to think of the SNES era. Um and it was things like um 
I was a huge Secret of Mana fan. Um, and that kind of that kind of art style and that kind of vibe and this kind of you know whimsical characters and they they all brought kind of you know something different um and then final fantasy 9 was just such a refreshing take on a uh, on a franchise that was definitely going in um a certain direction um and we had uh final fantasy 9 really is just pure and uh, it's utter joy um mm-hmm. and even to this day when i revisit that game it's it's a feeling that I always have. It's like, you know, Marcy, it's like you, uh, you step into a game that you can put, uh, you know, play as a bit of a side thing of, of what you're doing, but it's something that you're still enjoying. And it's something that's still just giving you joy. And Final Fantasy nine uh, above a lot of things um, is that for me. Um, and, you know, I approach this discussion about like, um, you know, what makes um, a good RPG and, you know, the, the two of you, you know, but we'll, we'll have your own opinions, but like four kind of pillars for me are, are story characters um, for like a JRPG or even an action RPG is like how that battle system works. Mm. Um, and then the actual, um, the world um, and kicking things off with uh, characters, Final Fantasy nine, probably above any of the other Final Fantasies um, just has, in my opinion, the best characters of the franchise um probably a full cast of characters that are the best i know that like final fantasy There's 7 a couple of a couple of weaklings there um, is like amaranth people but it's you know it's it's leading four leading five characters um uh, zidane which i've all of my life called zidane but it is actually canonically is it? called, it's the called zidane. Father. I call, him, I call him Zidane as well. He is in it, yeah. Wow. Yeah, the French fo- yeah. headboarding footballer, not- isn't it? Wait, yes. is, there, is there a Final Fantasy spinoff with voice acting where they call him Zidane or something? There, yeah, there's... No, so there was um, there was something in the later years that Square released. Maybe um, Dissidia, the fighting game. It, it was. And in King- is he not in Kingdom Hearts, Liam? Not in the first two that I... Oh! <laughs> I don't know. I'm just not a big Kingdom Hearts fan. I sorry. I sorry about. I'm sorry about that noise. <laughs> Liam. Liam finally sneezed. Uh, <laughs> uh, but the characters of these games are just. Uh, I'll go back to that word joy. Right. If you compare um, the likes of Cloud or the likes of fucking Squall from uh, Final Fantasy VIII, who again, right? I like not to diss on emo too much, but as in they have that. They have those character traits. They're not fun people. You know, they're not fun people to yeah, be you'd, around you'd, or you'd, play you'd, you'd fucking hate them if it was real life. You'd hate hanging out with Squall if it was real life because you'd just like, oh, shut up, man. <laughs> um, but someone like um, Zidane, who's... Uh, uh, It'll always be Zidane for me. I'm sorry. I know, it will be for me as well. Who's a, like, monkey boy, which kind of sounds a bit weird, but it's like... <laughs> <laughs> Marcy, grew up and play a JRPG. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know what? How is this any different to playing as a fucking high archer elf? Fair, very fair, yeah. But just the way you said it, you play a monkey boy. Is that a, is that a young monkey or is it a boy who's half monkey? He has a tail. He has a tail. Yeah. Like a spider baby. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in comparison to other main characters of Final Fantasy, he's he's uh, he's an extrovert, right? So as in, like, he is all about the people who are around him. He's all about kind of having fun. But he's on his own personal journey, um, you know, t- t- throughout the overall uh, arching story of of Final Fantasy IX. 
Um, Vivi, who is a uh, best character ever. Yeah, best character. Protect ever. him at all costs. I love him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very well said. But he's like um, a black mage who are you know a, a, a kind of attacking uh, magic type of character within the kind of like wizards um, character with but look like dolls um, within the Final Fantasy uh, universe, and he's this like clumsy fragile person who's like who has a really fucking tragic story in Mm -hmm. in final fantasy 9 where um spoilers because marcy you're probably never gonna play it to be fair uh is you know he he finds out that he's manufactured and he has a timeline on his life um so no No, uh, black mage yeah okay sorry sorry. (laughs) (laughs) i I did zone out for a moment although the monkey boy is a clone (laughs) <laughs> uh, more spoilers sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um and uh, yeah he has a tragic story and the relationship between like um the, re- the interpersonal relationships then between like the main cast of characters so like zidane take, love, taking uh, yeah, on vivi as a like a, a big a big brother type of character because vivi doesn't know his place in the world he doesn't know the, the uh, kind of like the meaning of life why he's there um and then yeah steiner who is the loyal who's probably the most normal character um who's just the like nor uh, a loyal knight uh to the queen and to the princess but then as he finds out that you know the the queen is one of the uh the antagonists of the game he starts to question what like loyalty means um yet he remains loyal to uh, the, uh and like he's the, a complete he's a complete doofus as well He's so like, ah, no fun and all that. And he's he's like probably my second favorite character in the game. I love him. And then like the interplay between the uh, like so, uh, Zidane, because we're just fucking gonna call him Zidane from now on. And <laughs> and and uh, Steiner is you know they, they throw each other nicknames. They're kind of opposite uh, kind of characters. Um, and seeing that interplay within Final Fantasy IX is like a, a massive, massive strong point. But they did something. Uh, kind of incredible um, in my opinion Um, and I've spoken on this podcast before about how um, story plays uh, a big role in in why I love games and and Final Fantasy 9 is incredibly personal Um, they and they made that possible by implementing a gameplay feature called I believe it was Active Time Events Liam is that what it was ATEs Um, and essentially you know when you go into like a new town um, generally, during these games, you'd have your, your your playable characters, and you would see the world through their eyes, and the story would unfold through their eyes. But Final Fantasy IX introduced act, active time events, where um, essentially you had the opportunity to view what was happening um, at other spots in the town through the other character's point of view. So, as in, you would you know go in, like uh, uh, one of my favorite ones is where uh, I forget the name of the town. Um, Dali, I think, and that's where yep. VV gets captured. If I'm, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken, um, okay. so like you hear, you he runs off and he's like just kind of exploring this town, and he can hear a chocobo, um, and he's like, "What's going on?" He gets captured, um, and which finds you find out later that that's actually where they were um, manufacturing some of the black mages, or at least that's packaging right. them. Um, but you see uh, Garnis, who is the princess, who adopt later adopts the name of of Dagger trying to break the role of royalty and integrate herself into like normal society. And it's just like the cutest little moments. 
yeah, make that game. I, I, I said, I think I've said before that Final Fantasy IX might be exactly what I like, what I want from a JRPG, and I think that's one of the main reasons it spends more time on characters um, than other Final Fantasies, and that's what I, I really appreciate. I, I'm glad you brought it up because that's one of my favorite things about it that you go into a new town and it feels so alive because you get to see other characters you're exploring and going on their little journeys. But if you allow me a, mo- a moment on, yep. you hit on something very good there that I completely agree with. Um, the genius of Final Fantasy IX story for me is um, uh, Zidane is this big extrovert, big, large, happy-go-lucky guy. And the whole story, like, okay, it has a really convoluted third act, like all Final Fantasies do. It all gets very anime. Suddenly it's about, it, it goes Aliens. from... Yeah, it goes from rescuing a princess and having a kind of a, a an Aladdin type story, uh, kind of the, the lovable thief and the princess falling in love, to a planet that needs to assimilate another planet and absorb souls, and there's clones and stuff like that. It's but, all the same game. It's all Final it's all same game. Yeah. It's all Final Fantasy. <laughs> well, actually, but you know, it, to, to say that you know, the back in the day, the PS One Final Fantasies generally had multiple discs, and mm. Final Fantasy Nine is uh, I love it because each disc is kind of like its own season of television because the, the, fo- like yeah. like the following cool, disc yeah. kind of like picks up sometime afterwards and your characters are in a new place and they're kind of like split up and it's kind of like getting up to speed but like disc four of that is just fucking like bonkers but <laughs> <laughs> well, what i was going to say was um yeah zidane is such a big large happy-go-lucky character and uh, the, if you if you peel away all the kind of anime nonsense which i like but if you peel it away just for a moment the story really is these characters who get sucked into Zidane's orbit and he 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 starts affecting them all in positive ways. He starts helping them helping them grow. And then he doesn't really have much backstory until the third act when it becomes all anime and then he finds out that he has an origin that he didn't know and he kind of loses his sense of self. And it's all in build up to the first half of the story which had him have a positive effect on all these characters and then they need to pick him up and they need to help him. And that's just a really simple but kind of beautiful way to tell a story, especially a long form fantasy story. And it kind of culminates in this moment uh, where Zidane has lost his fucking cool and he's going through battles. And there's this music playing that I think without hyperbole is my favorite piece of video game music ever made. It's called You're Not Alone uh, by the great Nobuo Matsu. And it's uh, it shouldn't work. It's just really emotional, badass tune that sounds like a fucking queen song. It's just really <laughs> cheesy, but it works in the moment. And all the other characters start jumping into battles with you. Uh, to kind of help Zidane um, over over what he's going through, and I think it's probably uh, one of my favorite narrative moments in a game ever. And I, I think I, I think Zidane as a main character works very well because he doesn't have much character um, change for the first half, mm-hmm. but he's affecting every other character. Like like you said, Vivi is learning from Steiner is learning from, and it's all for payoff in this moment when they all they all help him in turn in the, in the third act. That's uh, just can I say one thing as someone who hasn't really played any of the Final Fantasy games. That sounds like a much more mature story than I would have expected of, yeah, of the games well, looking from the outside in. Well, they're all character, all steeped in character. Like they, the Final Fantasy mm. games love their characters. That's one of the best things about it, you know. And even though it looks like, I don't it's, know, if it does look quite childish. Yeah, it's, it's like, like yeah, this, 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 one, this is the childlike, yeah. Yeah, this is the childlike looking one. But it, I know it really, really cares about its characters. Really empathetic games. I'm really glad I played them when I was like young. They're like we were talking about that nostalgia thing. The even more so than Zelda, um, the final fan, the PS One Final Fantasy games and Final Fantasy Ten for the PS Two were probably the biggest events of my childhood. They were like my Harry Potter or whatever. The big thing is mm-hmm. there was no bigger event for me than a Final Fantasy coming out. And 
yeah, I'm really glad I played them when I was young because they really they really developed my love for storytelling and just like really I really cared as a child. And nine is no exception. I really really cared, which is a great thing. And children like shouldn't be apathetic about things, you know. Shouldn't be ironic. Shouldn't be watching things ironically. I think they should really care about things. You know, yeah, and 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 that, I, you know? I remember, and it's a scene that'll always stand out um, in my mind. And you know, we we talk about what what was the first time you you cried. Uh, it was Ace Attorney game. three. <laughs> <laughs> for some reason, for some reason, but there there was an incredibly poignant moment, and whether or not I fully grasped the true understanding of it at the time or not, but it's quite early on in the game. Um, when you are, um, you have the majority of your your uh, crew, and you're flying to um, a city called Limblum. And this is just after actually Vivi had been uh, captured and you guys escaped the town. Um, and essentially the queen had sent um, a group of bl- uh, black uh, mage assassins, um, I think is the best way to describe it, um, after your 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 cast of characters um, to stop them. So uh, one of the, um, the black mages attacks you while you're on this flying ship which is, you know, a big, uh, a big thing within the the Final Fantasy games, and I I remember that it was just this incredibly sad uh, sequence of scenes because Vivi keeps running around to the soulless black mages, the manufactured black mages on this ship, and nobody will talk to him, and he's like he's a child, and and I think he's like meant to be like six or eight years old um, during the game. And like he really is just a child, and he doesn't understand why none of uh, the people who look like him will talk to him. Um, and you know he's just incredibly sad. And um, this is you know where like Zidane steps in, and you know he gives him a bit of hope. And then your ship is attacked by one of these evil black mages, and out of nowhere there is this cutscene where all of the black, uh, this like the soulless manufactured black mages. Um, come to the front of the ship and protect Vivi. And there's no dialogue. There's nothing. And they get fucking executed. Yeah, yeah. They sacrifice themselves. They sacrifice themselves for Vivi. And it was just super, super powerful. And I, I believe I'm correct in saying this, but like during that scene, not only is there no dialogue, but there's actually no sound. Um, and, and it's either that scene or just after, but the whole thing is just done in silence and you're just seeing it through like this, this child's eyes. Um, yeah. and it is just so beautiful. And then, you know, the emotional response after that is, um, and you might know this Marcy, but like part of the special move set in fun fancy games is like their limit breaks. Um, you know, when you take so much damage, but essentially, um, the mechanic in Final Fantasy IX was uh, called trance, and they go into like this trance stage where it's like a heightened emotional stage, and that's the first time Vivi goes into his, and he's. It turns out that he's this like ultra powerful like black mage, um, and it was just super like super effective. Um, so playing that at the age of, geez, I don't know what I would have been twelve, thirteen at the time. Like less even, yeah, less eleven actually, because I was tw- yeah, I was twelve when when F- Final Fantasy Ten came out, ten or eleven, um, super powerful, yeah. So like you speak about story and um and uh, how the art style might not lend itself to something where you think there's deep characterization, it's it's 
it's done through like the little animations. Uh, it ha- probably has some of the best cutscenes, to be honest, um, in the entire um, franchise. In my opinion, I just I remember them being like just complete standout moments from the opening of that game, um, which is just like a, a montage of of scenes, kind of you know se- setting up the story of where everyone is at the certain time. I love the opening hour of Final Fantasy Nine. I talked about it in our Final Fantasy Seven episode. Um, I. I love when JRPGs um, allow themselves to just be stories for a while and don't worry about battles. You don't have, you don't gain EXP or do proper battles for the first hour of Final Fantasy IX. It's just this, there's a play coming to the city and you get to play from this point of view from all different characters, from Zidane, who's um, a part of one of the actors. They're really mm-hmm. there. They're, the play is just a smokescreen to kidnap the princess. You get to play as Vivi, who's going to see the play as a thing. You get to play as uh, Steiner, who's in the castle with the princess. And it introduces all these characters over an hour it's one of the best opening hours of a video game ever i'd say i I absolutely love it it's really really well done Mm -hmm. and then the you know for a battle system part of the reason why it's my favorite is because it's the most basic I'm, i'm not i'm not into overly complicated battle system that has too many stats that has too many customer too much customization i like it to be incredibly um simple so when even when it comes to um learning new abilities you know the abilities are i I believe they're tied to weapons and then you just learn those abilities by having those uh specific weapons equipped and then once you've learned it you've learned it and it's done there's a kind of there's a kind of kind of give and take sacrifices you have to make sometimes you might have to equip a weaker weapon to learn the ability that it has you kind of have to weaken yourself to learn more abilities it's very simple but there's Mm -hmm. there's kind of um choice in it you know just kind of do you just make these decisions and you know final fantasy like the the original ones they were always very class-based um mm-hmm. so like in the in the later in like seven essentially anyone could equip uh materia which you know is har- the harvested energy that gave you your your magical abilities but anyone could use magic and then it was the same in nine that you would draw your magic from uh, certain eight, spots, eight. or sorry, eight that you would draw from certain spots or from from enemies. So anyone could use magic. But in Final Fantasy Nine, what I what I like is that their their roles are predefined. So you know, Vivi is the person who is the attack magic person, and then there's two white mages who are you know the healers, and then there's the thief, and then there's the um, the the knight who you know was ultra powerful. Um, and then how those combine together. And we speak about, um, you know, the interplay between the characters. A piece of ingenuity that I think kind of often goes overlooked is, um, you know, I, I touched on the Zidane and Vivi relationship, but Steiner, who um, is, you know, is the, a bit more of a serious uh, character, his relationship with Vivi is almost just as good because he realizes how powerful Vivi yeah, is. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a brilliant scene that's during battle um, where Steiner actually suggests that Vivi enhances his sword. So you find out that um, you can use those two characters um, together and they have this kind of relationship. But when they're not in battle together, you can't enhance, you can't use that skill set uh, with Steiner. So it's it's just really nice in in battle interplay um between the characters um i'll i, I want to round this one out um just touching upon of all the expanded universes that we're getting in in final fantasy um something really interesting is happening with nine 
in I that. Fucking, oh my god, I almost had a, I almost had a mental breakdown when I read it. I, I couldn't <laughs> believe it. Yeah, I sent I sent it to you guys one morning. Yeah, that um, it's getting an animated TV show. Oh, um, yeah. it's 20, not 21 years later, 21 years later. And like, it's not, it's at an interesting stage of its development cycle in that it actually hasn't been, um, fully shopped around, uh, yet, but like the animation studio is, uh, they know who they are. They, we know who is like developing it. They're just trying to find a, um, essentially a publisher and distributor within, within the, the animated world. Um, but it's actually, you know, Marcy, we spoke about all this you know, deep story and deep characterization, but they're actually making and gearing this animated series for kids between the ages of like six and 12. Yeah, and I read that and I was like, that's a brilliant, noble thing to do, but you can't stop me from watching it by saying it's for children. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> and I'm I like, I it's it's an interesting one, but I'm, I'm super pleased because, you know, as one of my favorite games uh, of all time, it's, you know, Square have just bashed and bashed on what they can uh, mine out of Final Fantasy VII for years. Yeah, yeah. Um, Seven is the popular one. Now I love Seven, but it's nice to see a bit of love for, for one of the other Final Fantasies, you know? Exactly. Um, and I'm pleased that it's my favorite. And now, Marcy, what I will say is it's available on Switch. The best thing about it is you can fast forward all yeah, of the battles. Nine, and yeah. nine was very story. slow, unfortunately. Yeah, nine was very slow, unfortunately. So all the new re-releases of it have a fast forward mechanic that, that actually just completely makes the game even better. So I, I think my last playthrough was about eighteen hours, and that was even you know grinding and and shit like that. So uh, just from a story point of view, if you wanted to just fucking beeline all of that, you can do it sub twenty hours. But uh, yeah, but can I just say one more thing before we end it? Um, Final Fantasy IX was the last game that was made by Hironobu Sakaguchi, who was the creator of the Final Fantasy series. It was the last Final Fantasy he worked on. Um, the last thing he did for Square Enix was, or for Squaresoft, was uh, Final Fantasy The Spirits Within, the movie, but we'll forget about that. Final Fantasy IX was really, he really meant it as a loving send-off. It, it kind of encapsulates, like Owen said, the, a lot of the old Final Fantasy in terms of a style, but the kind of newer Final Fantasy at the time in terms of its... Um, where a story goes and it's all kind of feel of it. So I often, I reckon just recently I was talking to someone at work and she was asking what, where, where's the best place to start for Final Fantasy. And I always think nine is the perfect, it's, it's perfectly emblematic of everything that's good about that series. You don't get your hot anime boys like Sephiroth, which I think a lot, a lot of part of the fan base really like, but I think it's the, it's the Final Fantasy for me that kind of best kind of puts on show everything i love about that franchise and that's well, if people want to get into final fantasy that's where i suggest you go well you know what i'm gonna make a promise to the both of you uh mm-hmm. even though the idea of playing a monkey boy uh <laughs> who fights aliens doesn't get me super excited right now um i'm gonna download it after this and for the switch and at our next episode i will report back and let you know what i think do it yeah i will uh, I argu- arguably um nobo umatsu's best work my most yeah, listened yeah. to Final Fantasy soundtrack. So even for that yeah, alone, like I, like I said, there's a track on it that I just think is my favorite video game track ever. If I worked out, I would listen to it while I was working out. <laughs> 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 well, we have certainly gotten an insight into Liam Sheehan's uh, life during uh, this episode. Yeah, absolutely have. He had really? to. Um, can I? Do you mind if I share something personal, Liam? Um, yeah. We found out that Liam has to be wearing shoes for the podcast. Uh, no, my feet were cold. Episode. My feet were cold this time, and my shoes are right beside me. Why are we talking about this? 
Sorry. I delayed the, everyone. I delayed the opening of this episode so I could put on some shoes. And now I, I don't know why we're talking about that. <laughs> a little bit of insight for you. That's a, hey, look, listen, after hours. Bye. Oh, my yeah. But, <laughs> okay, guys. Well, before we go, um, obviously, you know, a lot of our, our fans have been really uh, receptive of um, the quizzes, particularly the, the Conquer's Bad Friday quiz that we, we did uh, recently. Um, mm. So I thought to... <laughs> sorry, I can't get through that. So, so to test your knowledge of your your favorite games, um, I mean, you both spoke so lovingly of the soundtracks. Um, let's see who knows soundtracks the best. So I'll play you both uh, two songs, um, two from the Zelda series and then two from the Final Fantasy series. And then one tiebreaker one um, for a different game, a different game series. Um, and you have to uh, figure out uh, what game they're from, uh, from that series. Um, I will say there's a bonus point here. Let's say, Liam, if I play you a song from Zelda, you don't know which Zelda it is, you get it wrong. But Owen gets it right. Um, Owen uh, gets one of your shoes, um, yeah. which would be freezing. It'd be terrible. Um, who, who, would like to go, who would like to go first? Yeah, me. You want to go first? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. I do. He's gonna get them all. Like, I have a nah. feeling he might. Yeah, I, I am nah. a bit worried that um, uh, he he's going to be very very good at this. Um, nah. Okay. So because we're obviously very high tech here, I'll just be saying this through my phone, uh, and hopefully it gets picked up by the mic <laughs> and you can hear it. Um, okay. Right. Let's let's uh, let's let's get started here. Okay. Silence, please. Thank you very much. This might be very loud. Is it Zelda? Yes, it might be a slightly more uh, orchestrated version, oh, but it is. Um, uh, it's uh, Gerudo Valley from uh, Ocarina of Time. Ludicrous. Didn't even have it. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't even a rule to say the name, but well done. Oh. It wasn't yeah. even the original song, and he still it. wasn't it, the original right? one. You just, you yeah, just found yeah. some you just found some cover of it. <laughs> that is absolutely incredible. Well done, Liam. That's uh, no worries, man. absolutely uh, into the lead there. Um, well done. Uh, Owen, are you, uh, you ready to go there? No, but yeah. I just feel so embarrassed right now. Okay, I'll give you another couple of seconds. I love Final Fantasy music, man. So nice, isn't it? It's so soothing. <laughs> well, what am I doing? What I'm naming? You just you just have to name the game. It's obviously from the Final Fantasy series. You don't have to name the name of it like uh, fucking Liam did over here. Uh, but please feel free if you, if, if you know it. Is it Final Fantasy Nine? It's seven, isn't it? It's um, Tidus's theme from Final Fantasy Ten. Ludicrous human being. He's a ludicrous human being. <laughs> um, Jesus, yeah. Okay, well done. Yeah, yeah he's one hundred percent correct. That is so. Yeah. Do I have to give him my shoes if I? <laughs> <laughs> Your Crocs, uh, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, okay, so here's uh, here's Liam's second. Okay. I've just realised it actually says the word remix after the track I've just played. Another remix. Yeah. Very, very, very interesting remix. 
I think they've added in the extra sound effects in the game. Yeah, they are. Oh. Yeah, it's really cool. Oh. I don't know what that was. I don't. It's a remix, man. I didn't get it. it it's Sorry. the the Clockworks is what the name of that track is from okay. Majora's oh, Mask. That's what I was going to guess. I was meant to get a guess. Oh. Well, there you oh, go. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Owen. Yeah. So okay, then <laughs> I guess that's two points for Owen. So we're up to <laughs> to two each. Okay, with that. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I sorry about that being a remix version. I got both um, remixes. <laughs> you did. Yeah. <laughs> Still got the fucking right one. Of them right though. Um, okay. Here's a uh, here's another one for uh, for for Mister for Mister Owen here. This one. Um, just gotta make sure this is not. Okay, that's not a remix. Okay, good. Final Fantasy Seven. Correct. Can you give me the name for an extra point? Um, reactor quick, bomb. Quick. Escaping quick. reactor. Reactor. Hurry. But no, well done. Um, I one one. Uh, yeah. No, no. Well, we actually no. It, I think it's seven points each. Um, okay. If we look at the. Nice. No, maybe. Um, let's uh, let's go to a tiebreaker, um, uh, and let me try and find a track here. Okay, fantastic. Uh, yep. Okay. Here we go. Uh, this is fastest uh, finger first. Okay. Uh, so just say, you have to say you have to say the other person's name. <laughs> <laughs> Might get confusing for me. Okay. Here we go. Oh, I think this is a really really slow opening actually. It's not Metal Gear is Solid it four? 3. It, it is 4. Yeah. It is. The yeah. only reason I guess that is because I don't know it, and that's the one I know the least. That's like, that's the, just the only it ha- way It has to be that. one of the later ones, given its uh, sophistication. Kind of, yeah, 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 yeah. That's Harry Gregson Williams, yeah. Uh, Gecko is the name of the track. So yeah, those, those uh, That was yeah. fun, Marcy. Yeah, it was. Uh, congratulations, Owen. Uh, that's the, the second uh, quiz you've won here. Third, actually. You won the I not win, though. No. No, no, I got the, I got Metal Gear Solid Four no, no, there at the end. Uh, no, no, you didn't. No, for that you didn't actually have to name the song. Right. You said the first person to say the other person's name won the quiz. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about the confusion there. Um, An ending. We're, so, yeah. we're getting so good at ending these podcasts, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, we are. Which I will pass it over sadness. to uh, to to Owen today to wrap us up. I do, <laughs> I just I want to thank Marcy and uh, I want to thank Liam. Uh, but no, thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in once again. Everyone who has listened to the podcast so far has helped us grow into, we have a small little community going, which is uh, super great. And we are super, super grateful. We are very excited for our next few episodes. Um, but until then, goodbye, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.